in brightest day, in blackest night. No evil shall escape my sight. In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power Oranges lust and blues you can trust Indigos feel and white ones heal Yellow scare and green ones dare That sapphire love and black hands glove Will rock your foundation without hesitation Chad and Mars face evil's mind everybody i'm chad bokelman i'm michael bailey and i'm mark marble and this is the lantern cast episode 271 that's right 271 and we have a special guest which usually means something epic is coming and in this case that's going to be the denoter (laughs) the fact that we have a guest not the episode number because you know 271 means nothing to the lantern universe (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm trying to think about that, and I think you're absolutely right. I don't think any has any Green Lantern series got. No, I don't think any of them have got to 271. No, uh, Core. I guess Green Lantern from the 80s, 90s was the closest because Core switched over at 200 or something. Yeah, but that only went to like 224. Yeah, so that's the closest. All right. Well, look at that. Bit of Lantern history. So we have Michael Bailey on the show. I I would tell you where Michael is from, but podcast-wise, he's got like 40 things out there, uh, (laughs) including like a live radio show that broadcasts every Tuesday. So I don't even know what's... You tell him. Where are you from, Mike? Uh, Well, (laughs) everyone says that. (laughs) Who who the hell are you and why are you here? I, I hear that question a lot. No, I, I, I started podcasting back in 2007 with a show called Views from the Long Box, which is still around. Uh, I, in fact, Chad was on a couple episodes there last year as part of my Legends coverage, and oh, I really appreciate that. So I'm kind of hoping to actually rope the two of you into something in the future, but I don't know if you'll say yes because it involves Millennium. Um, oh, that thing. Yeah. Okay, yeah. But, uh, I, I also do a show called From Crisis to Crisis, which just came back from a pretty extended hiatus where I talk about the post-crisis Superman with my friend Jeffrey Taylor. I've done a bunch of stuff over on Two True Freaks. Uh, most notably, I would say uh, Tales of the Justice Society of America, which has been on hiatus for almost two years now? I guess two, yeah. Um, and uh, as Chad alluded to, every Tuesday night I do a, a live call-in show over with the Superman homepage uh, called Radio KAL Live with the uh, Webmaster, which is such an archaic term at this point, uh, where we talk about all the latest and greatest in the world of Superman. So um, add into add in a uh, daily Superman blog called Fortress of Bailitude, and I, I got a lot of irons on the fire. You also have a guest host spot on a <coughs> certain show. Uh, oh. 
I don't know what that was about. Uh, <laughs> no, my I've I've roped Mike into helping me out with the Action Comics Weekly podcast before, so this is not the first time him and I have podcasted together. Actually. I feel like we've done it another time outside of your le- your uh, your stuff on the Legends series. I can't remember I, what that I was. thought it was Action Comics. I thought that was that in the Legends. I you know you, <laughs> you, you, you if you have gotten to the point where you forget how many times you've podcasted with somebody, you've officially podcasted too long. <laughs> Mark, <laughs> goodbye, oh, nice buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I am seceding oh. from the union. <clears throat> So why do we have the Superman expert on our show? Well, <laughs> clearly we're talking something Superman-related, right? <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> we are actually talking about something the Lantern cast has never covered in its history of being on the air these past eight-plus years. Jim and Dan claim that they did an episode of this long, long ago as one of their first episodes that they were going to put out when the Lantern cast first came out. But it was one of those quote-unquote lost episodes where <laughs> Jim's hard drive crashed and, I don't know, it was running on Steam. I, he's old. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, <laughs> but we are covering, finally, for the first time ever on this podcast, Emerald Dawn. Not Emerald Dawn 2. <laughs> Emerald Dawn, the first one. Um <laughs> uh, so we brought Michael on, and that might be confusing to some of you, but, Mike, why don't you tell him why Emerald Dawn is important to you? Uh, I love this series. Uh, I have a very vivid memory of, I had to be 13 at the time, uh, going to the mall with my mom. She wanted to shop for something, and that usually meant, because I could go off on my own at that point, uh, to Walden Books, and on the spinner rack, which was much nicer than like a wire spinner rack. Walden books had like, like wood paneling on this thing and it was plastic. It was actually pretty nice. Uh, on the, uh, on the spinner rack was Emerald Dawn number one. And I had been into comics for a little over two years. I understood at that point that, you know, you had, you know, man of steel, which revamped Superman. You had Batman year one, which kind of revamped Batman. There was a wonder woman thing I had not read yet. But I'm like, oh, this is the this is the revamp for Green Lantern. I got to I got to be on the ground floor of this one. Uh, And I bought precisely one issue, Um, but I read it over and over again. I actually uh, in a weird confluence of events, just kind of missed out on the rest of it. But uh, about two or three months after it all came out, uh, DC at the time had a habit of packaging really inexpensive trade paperbacks. In fact, I have it in my hands right now. Uh, it is printed on tissue paper because this the paper stock is so thin. But it was a $5 trade paperback of the six issues, and that's actually how I got to read the, the, the entirety of it. But, no, I, you know, every generation has, you know, like their defining moment for a character and their origin uh, for you guys – uh, not to sound like an old geezer, but for you guys, I would say that's probably more secret origin with Jeff Johns uh, would be kind of like your definitive Hal Jordan origin for the moment. Uh, people older than me would go back to the Silver Age, but for me, this was it. This was this was the big moment, and uh, I just love it to pieces. Makes sense, Mark. I know you got on to the Green Lantern stuff 
kind of uh, mid uh, Emerald Twilight ish or during the Kyle beginning of the Kyle yeah, Rayner one. Beginning of the Kyle run. So what's your experience with Emerald Dawn? I'm trying to remember when I actually well, I know I, I know give or take when I could not have bought this book before because the, the graphic novel I have was came out in 2003. So obviously I, the one I'm holding in my hands I couldn't. This was a so this was the first time I read it whenever I bought it. So it was some, sometimes sometime after 2003. Uh, I had heard of it. I basically knew – I think I knew the bits and pieces, the, the key points to what actually happened in it, including some of the things that I don't necessarily like in this in this uh, telling of Hal's origin. But I would say Michael's probably right partially for me because, you know, I, I'm sadly I'm old too. But I would I – would, my – I don't know if I have a definitive, one complete, straightforward telling of Hal's origin, but it is probably somewhere between you know the basic Silver Age origin and at least some of Jeff Johns' origin, which you know, which I don't, I'm not a huge. That's not my favorite, you know, retelling of an origin either, even though we know. Because that was very self-serving to retool it to include Atrocitus in the Blackest Night and everything. So. Wait, 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 wait. Are you telling me that Jeff Johns will include something in his crossover or in his in a story that uh, that's kind of serving as a miniseries that will play into a bigger story coming later? Are, are you trying to I, I don't. I, I, how dare you, sir? I know it's such I'm going out in a limb, really. <laughs> such a strange theory to throw out there. Alternate facts. Uh, yeah, I think I, <laughs> um, I hate that term. I just, yeah, that was such a mistake, and now we're never going to hear the end of that term, regardless of what side of the aisle you're on. It's, we're just never going to hear the end of it. Uh, I yeah, so I, I I was interested in reading it, and I did kind of when I went back and started reading Hal stuff. The stuff I first started reading was the Gerard Jones run. So this is obviously you know this was kind of leading into the Gerard Jones run with the Emerald Dawn. So. It was good. I mean, eventually we'll probably get together to do Emerald Dawn 2, which I actually liked better than this one. <laughs> but, but it's an interesting story, and as we'll talk about, there's lots of elements in here that were that play that kind of got carried forward and talk related to the movie and other aspects. I know Michael wants to talk about too, which makes sense that this was a a template in a lot of ways towards what they were originally trying to do with the script for the Sometimes. movie. Sometimes very directly when you consider some of the quotes from some of the characters in the, in the story. Yeah. Um, this is uh, actually my first time reading Emerald Dawn all the way through in preparation for this episode. Um, when I started reading comics, obviously everybody knows this story by now, but because uh, I, I never stop harping on it for some godforsaken reason. But I started with uh, – I promise it's relevant this time. <laughs> I started with the second volume of the showcase, the black and white reprints of Green Lantern, because I couldn't find volume one, and I figured, what the hell. Uh, and uh, I also started with Rebirth. Uh, those two I bought. Now, I did read the Silver Age stuff, so actually, despite only being reading comics for the past eight, nine years, my origin – of Green Lantern has always been the Silver Age origin. Um, now I can see the elements, you know, that are kept in throughout the various incarnations ever since. You know, all the stuff I've been reading to catch up on, what uh, Jeff Johns kept and did not keep for Secret Origins, and what Emerald Dawn here has. But <clears throat> I can't remember when I first heard about Emerald Dawn, but there was something to it because. 
I remember knowing that phrase for some reason. I remember thinking that that confluence of words was some sort of uh, big thing that I needed to keep a lookout for when I was at various comic shops or something. I don't own this in trade. And speaking of trades, uh, I was at a comic book shop the other day and I was uh, live streaming on Twitter. And I happened to notice that they, right next at Austin Books and Comics, my local shop here in Austin, Texas, right next to the Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps currently ongoing series from, I guess we would call the Rebirth Era of DC, was something called Green Lantern Hal Jordan, which I thought was odd. I thought it was actually the first trade paperback of the new Rebirth series. But it, since it was, I was like, wait, they're it's called this title over here, but they're going to call it Green Lantern Hal Jordan over here. I didn't know what was going on. So I picked it up and flipped through it. It's actually Emerald Dawn 1 and 2 in trade mm-hmm. paperback form. It's been re-released. Um, and, well, I guess that's ironic because I didn't know that when we started planning on doing this episode. So some people may very recently have read Emerald Dawn for the first time as well. <laughs> they were coming over to this podcast just because that new trade paperback is out. Um, but... The reason I say this is the first time I've ever read it is I've got a pretty extensive, you know, real-life floppies of the Green Lantern run from the 60s all the way up until today. And I've got most of Emerald Dawn 1 and 2. But as I was going through my digital copy of Emerald Dawn, I noticed some of the cover images of Emerald Dawn, at least one or two of them, I've never seen before. So there's no way I can have the entire Emerald Dawn series, and therefore, there's no way I could have ever read it before. So, I don't know, man. It's the first time I've ever read it, and it was actually you know pretty enjoyable. Now, ironically, speaking to uh, Green Lantern and speaking to the Action Comics Weekly, I'm not trying to plug the podcast that I haven't picked back up yet, but... <laughs> Mark, no, Mark and I have been talking about Green Lantern in the uh, Action Comics Weekly series over there, and that is written by James Owsley. Yes. Who is credited on this. So this takes place right after Action Comics Weekly, right? This is right after Action Comics Weekly and after a Green, a Green Lantern special 2. Yes, yes. Um... And I can't remember. No, that was a, a discarded script that was published year, years later. I was thinking of the Legend of the Emerald Flame with Superman and Phantom Stranger, Dead Man, Green Lantern. You know what I'm talking yeah, about? The, 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 the original Action Comics Weekly number 642, or was that going to just be, or was that a special in there? I always get that confused. Yeah, I don't remember what it was. It was just it was all the characters in one, uh, except for. No, I don't know. I'm not even going to bother with all that. Um, but it was it was some script. I think was it Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman wrote it, and yeah. um, they just never used it. And it's been so many years since that came out. I remember when that 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 prestige format book came out because I picked it up because it was uh, involving Superman. So I, I thought it was kind of important. And I remember reading maybe in Wizard magazine back when you know Wizard was a, a thing. Uh, that um, that it that it was originally supposed to be an Action Comics Weekly, but there was something about the script that everyone was like, "No, nah, this doesn't work at all. We can't put this. This doesn't fit in the continuity." And I'm like, "Have you read Action Comics?" Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, <laughs> kind of 
continu- the words continuity and Action Comics Weekly do not go in the same sentence. Uh, sometimes within its own series. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, as Mark and I have talked about over on that show, where we're talking about the Green Lantern uh, sections, there was no ongoing Green Lantern series. The Action Comics Weekly appearances were for the best part of a year, two, uh, the ongoing Green Lantern series. So when Emerald Dawn comes out, it's a big deal to not just Green Lantern fans, but to everybody, because there was no ongoing Green Lantern series. So this miniseries was the best they'd gotten in a while. So, Mike, do you want to tell them what happens in this story? (laughs) Well, the the overall plot was by Keith Giffen. Uh, The first issue was scripted by James Owsley, but after, I think, an argument with the editor, uh, he is replaced on scripting duties by Gerard Jones. Uh, The art is by M.D. Doc Bright and Romeo Tangal. And uh, we're going to get into how much I love M.D. Bright's Green Lantern a little later. You know, a lot happens in this series, so I was able to kind of boil it down into a, a, a paragraph. It opens as Hal is a as a child and watches his father, uh, Martin Jordan, die in an accident involving uh, the aircraft he was flying. Uh, we cut to the not quite present because it was still in the past. But that's not too confusing. Where Hal has completely screwed up his life, and one night he is drinking and he drives and gets into an accident. And uh, ends up uh, injuring and eventually killing his best uh, one of his good friends, uh, a bad guy named Legion, who is this big yellow thing, kills Evan Sir, uh, and before finally dying, uh, he gives Hal the ring. Uh, Hal fights with Legion, and it doesn't really go well for him. Hal learns what happened to Evan Sir and trains on Oa. Legion attacks Oa. Hal goes into the power battery and absorbs enough power to defeat what Legion eventually becomes because they think they defeat him. And then he becomes this amorphous like mercury pool. Uh, and he does absorb enough power to defeat Legion while the touch from transformers. The movie plays in the background. Uh, if it doesn't play in your head, it will now uh, Legion turns out to be this big mistake of the guardians. Uh, and this is one of the f- first times that we like got the sense that the guardians may not be always Right. Uh, and then Hal spends some time in jail, and life is better at the end because he's Green Lantern and Hal Jordan. <laughs> Discuss. <laughs> These are the facts, more or less. <laughs> um, awesome. Uh, so we, we, we brought it up at the beginning, and I, I think there's no way we can start talking about it without giving people a modern touch point, so we may as well already get into it. The comparisons of this story to the movie. Oh, good Lord. I mean, opening on the death of his father, which, and I'm not saying this is like, you know, you kids need to get off my lawn uh, because I'm really trying not to do that, especially since uh, I kind of put my foot in my mouth earlier about that. Um, (laughs) Assuming you were both the same age. What was I thinking? It's just like, I, I actually started reading, it's funny, uh, quick aside, even though I read Emerald Dawn and all that, and like the first couple of issues of the uh, ongoing series that followed it, 
my first real exposure and really falling in love with Green Lantern was the Kyle Rayner stuff too. So it's kind of interesting that I have as much love for Hal as I do because uh, you know Kyle's my guy. But a lot, I think a lot of people assume that the death of Martin at the beginning of the the Green Lantern film from 2011 was something from Jeff Johns's Secret Origins miniseries. Because this miniseries isn't really talked about. I mean, at one point, Dan DiDio called this a sin. Outright <laughs> called it what happened to Hal Jordan in this book was a sin. And Dan DiDio said something controversial? I know. Shocking. I'm not, I'm not here to beat the guy up because, man, people are doing that enough on Facebook right now. I've but, met him uh, in person at, at a New York Comic Con, and he's a really good guy. Yeah, he's, you know, can't, I, I won't always agree with the decisions, but he seems like a really cool guy to talk to. Um, but, you know, opening with the death of Hal's father, you know, makes a really compelling way to open the, you know, to, to, to have in a film as like kind of a, 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 a motivation for the character. But it happened here. I mean, they were thinking about it all the way back here. So it's just, it's like one of those things where, you read something in a comic and you think the inspiration comes from one source and it doesn't like a lot of people probably assume and, and rightly so that the, the, the Avengers being part of shield was because of the ultimates, but they were actually part of shield back during heroes reborn in the nineties. So it's weird to see all these little like things that we think are so modern actually happening Good God, this was like almost, you know, like 20, 27 years ago. Oh, my God, I'm old. Um, but no, the the um, the thing with his father, uh, Carol and Hal not getting along all that well, uh, you know, was in here and it was in the movie. I mean, it, it's just it's really kind of funny to see that. I'm not saying that they they, you know, ripped it off from here, but. I think Emerald Dawn was more of an inspiration for that film than a lot of people really want to give it credit for. I think that's yeah, a, yeah. I think sorry. I I I think that's a overall. And obviously, there are more things we're going to talk about that from that didn't some of which didn't actually make it into the movie, but were supposed to be in the movie based on the, the, like the original script. But in a, yeah, there's a lot of basic blueprint material here. But I, and I also think there's certain elements of your Hal Jordan origin story that have kind of just taken hold that you know it whenever you get another version of his origin they're going to some of these elements are going to be be in there so Martin mm-hmm. so now Martin Jordan dying not necessarily like this like like you said this puts it front right in front and forward right in, right in your face in the beginning and that's kind of, but that and that's kind of kind of made its way into the your traditional now Hal Jordan origin I think when a lot of people think about it much like you know Bruce Wayne's parents getting gunned down in the alley or something you have to touch upon if you're ever doing Bruce Wayne's or a Batman's origin because it's it's there even if no matter how you approach it it's part of the story just like Abin Sir dying which is always a joke about which which way is Abin Sir going to die this time that the ironic thing is when you and I thought I was thinking about this as we were as you were doing the recap is that one of the, Martin Jordan's way of dying is pretty consistent <laughs> There's not, not there's not a huge amount of variation in, in, in why he dies and how he dies. It's usually the same basic kind of mechanical error, whichever you know. So I just think so. I thought that was an interesting contrast in Hal's origin itself because Abin 
you know, every single time somebody tells a story, it's that there's a different way and reason why Abbott sort of, you know, ended up being in the position that he was in. But Martin Jordan is kind of consistent and. And well, his death is consistent. Yes. His personality, not so. No, no, yeah, and 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 to be fair, his relationship with Hal isn't one hundred percent always consistent. Sometimes it's more of a, you know, a, a little closer than, and then other times it's like you know he just keeps a relationship in which he just rides Hal incessantly, which kind of like makes Hal who he is because he never could, and he could never live up to Martin Jordan's standards of what Martin Jordan expected, you know, Hal to be. Uh, so, but I yeah I think. Yeah, I thought I saw. I th- that was that was my my initial thought, and the thing like with Ca- almost like with Carol too, the fact that Hal and Carol have to have this relationship to just that there's a background there with them being more. They work together. She's his boss. They work together. They've slept together, but they're not really together because things just don't work out for various reasons, mostly to do with Hal, but still. So I think some of those things have kind of now ingrained themselves into what you. I think what would be a how be hard to tell a Hal Jordan origin story without some of these elements, and maybe in the, in this version, the Emerald Dawn version probably kind of like encapsulates so many of those ideas in one that it is like essentially the blueprint. I think of telling the, the Hal Jordan origin story. Yeah, and the uh, in, as far as the comparisons of the movie and where it drew its um, inspiration from Secret Origins or, or this, and by Secret Origins we mean of course the Jeff Johns story. Um, I think it's odd because those comparisons don't really hold up when you consider the entire series, you know, Emerald Dawn, the entire series versus the movie and the secret origins, entire story arc versus the movie, because pretty much three issues, four issues into secret origins, it goes all, you know, focuses on Sinestro and the atrocities and the black hand thing uh, I mean, there's 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 a whole different arc there. Yes. Whereas the comparisons of the movie and Emerald Dawn continue from issue one to issue six. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I th- it's it's much more of an Emerald Dawn riff. Yes. For sure. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk about right away is one of the things I didn't like about this story, and and, and it's the only thing I didn't like about the story overtly. There may be small artistic things here and there or, or storytelling points, but. Overall, one of the things that really bugged me was uh, Hal himself, how he's not just a lovable screw-up, he's he's blaming everything else, like how he blamed, you know, and we, didn't, we did a, a pretty basic recap there, but in the story, uh, you know, Hal is, a, uh, is grounded, can't fly, um, for Ferris, and they're all at a bar drinking or hanging out, so they're razzing him. Um, and they all pile into a car later and take off and Hal's driving and he's got a lot on his mind. It's, I don't think he was drunk. He might oh, be he buzzed. was drunk. Yeah. He oh, was he was drunk. absolutely drunk. Okay. Yeah, he was, uh, this is the sin a lot that Dan DiDio was referring to okay. that they turned Hal Jordan into a drunk driver. Yeah. And that's, I, I don't necessarily agree with Dan, but I do see kind of his point is because that bugs me. Like he, he, the fact that Hal Jordan would do that, the fact that, uh, and he, he's blaming things on other thing, other things and other people. Like he blames the sign. Like I, that's having that be a part of this character makes me wonder why he's worthy of a ring in the first place. Yes. It's one thing to have fear, to be capable of overcoming said fear. But when you start blaming your mistake, 
stakes on everything else, doesn't that create some sort of a character flaw? I'm not saying I can't get over it. I'm not saying I can't appreciate the story for what it is. I'm just saying in the long term, uh, and especially in the modern age, hindsight being 2020, you know, and what we know about the spectrum and all that stuff now, that's probably that's that's mood at this point. But I'm just saying, doesn't it bother you in some way, shape or form? Um, no. And uh, the, the, the reasons are two. Um, one, the way I always saw this take on Hal Jordan is that he had to overcome his own hangups and part of the reason he get he is able to do that is that he's given a higher calling by becoming a Green Lantern. You know, yes, he is a screw up at the beginning of this story, but it's right there uh, in one of the panels where, and this was a big change. This was a game changer, and it's another thing that I think is more associated with uh, Jeff Johns because you know. His whole thing was, you know, you're not fearless. You're able to overcome fear. That's written into this script. So, you know, when, when the ring is talking to him. So I, I think it, becoming a Green Lantern doesn't mean that you don't have character defects, but it's that you have the ability to overcome them and overcome your own fear. And really at the heart of why Hal is such a screw up is that he's afraid. So through becoming a Green Lantern and through uh, and and through you know getting through this first big story and the fight with Legion, he is able to overcome that fear and get his life back together. So by the end of it, he's back in a, you know he's back you know jockeying a plane. <clears throat> I I'm kind of like in the middle between both of, both of your uh, thoughts on this. I think. I agree with Chad in the base that make the. It's not just that they're making him drunk, making him drunk, and having him do that. It's the fact that they make it's, it's that fine line between kind of like the bravado of being kind of being reckless and being fearless, quote unquote, and just being like really stupid and being really careless with other people. And it seems like that kind of seemed. Yes, Hal always had, you know, it's Hal to be to think he can do anything and sometimes putting other people at risk. You know, it's usually by proxy, though. This is like directly putting people at risk because of his inability to handle something. So I, I, but I also, to be fair, I also think that was part of not necessarily physically putting people at risk, but that was one of the things I didn't like about the the take the take in the movie either. That I understand the concept of overcoming fear, and I do. And I'm glad Michael. I'm, I'm, I made sense he was going to talk touch upon that, but I was going to talk talk about that too because I like the fact. That yes, and this—that's absolutely something. More, I think you are one hundred percent correct. More people associate that concept of of Green Lanterns not of ch the change in Green Lanterns being fearless to not being fearless, but having the ability to overcome great fear. That that's a Jeff Johns, and t I think to be fair, overall, it is a concept that was definitely really beaten. And I don't mean in a negative way, beaten to death, but it was it was really firmly established in the Jeff Johns run, and I think that's fair to say. But the fact that it is touched upon here, and I like the fact that, again, it's, in a way, it shows, it just it shows like you know, Jeff Johns at his best did take things that were out there and kind of made it his own and kind of added to it. It's like that's the best retcon you could do when Jeff Johns did something was he didn't necessarily change something; he took something and then showed you a different layer to it that you didn't see. 
So I like the fact that Hal wasn't necessarily fearless 100 percent of the time, but in the movie it bothered me that, that he was that he seemed so he seemed so unhal like in the movie. And I get a look because he he needed to have a certain level of even if it's false bravado. I didn't think there was enough of it in the in the movie Hal. He seemed a little too. But it, and I get a little bit of that here. I think he's a little more of a screw up than like like a love like Chad said a lovable a lovable screw up. So I think. So I don't know. It's it, it's it's kind of it's kind of tough. I think I this is not my take on I on Hal. I don't think this is my definitive version of who Hal is. I think he is a little bit. Later on in the book, becomes a little bit more Hal. He still mistakes he makes as Green Lantern. You can see Hal making that kind of makes sense. And it's not necessarily that it's inconsistent overall with traits in his personality. But I do think, yeah, he's, he's, he just seems like a real major league screw-up in the beginning. And it is kind of hard to it's kind of hard to root for him in the beginning. And that's kind of – and that's – I don't know. That's so. I think that's. I think that's kind of one of the things. That, one of the things that does bother me about about Emerald Dawn, at least the, the you know the overarching personal storyline that or arc that Hal's going through beyond the Green Lantern stuff. Hal as a person doesn't seem. I don't necessarily like this Hal Jordan that much compared to other Hal Jordans that I've seen. So. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> What did you guys think about Legion as the villain? Not as the, just the villain of the story, but as a villain in general. That's it seems like all of his power. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 no, no, I, I was, I was kidding, like, I'm kidding. It seems like all of his power just comes from being yellow. Which, in which case, why not make it just Goldface? Like, you know that. Well, not all in power, because once the shell, I, I once know. the shell is gone, then we find it. It's a whole nother, whole nother issue. But you're right. I do think making him yellow obviously was a huge, was the initial, you know, the uh, the initial stumbling block there that everybody had to overcome first, and then so. Yeah, for for me, I one I liked just the personality that they had. I guess I guess calling them they is probably a little more. Um, uh, you know, appropriate than calling him him because it was a bunch of different uh, psyches all in one little vessel as it's revealed in in, in the la- in the latter part of the series. So I kind of liked the dialogue as as a villain. You know, it's it's, it's kind of funny to have that kind of villain who's almost snarky. Uh, what I like about Legion as one of the first things that Hal has to face is that Legion is a mistake of the Guardians. They basically forced this society whose genetic raison d'etre was to, you know, seek out and explore and, and, and conquer, which is basically why the Guardians had to shut them down. But by putting them all on this one world and making it so that they couldn't escape... You know, they ate each other, essentially, and they took all of their psyches and put it in this vessel. And now they're going out there to kind of get their revenge on the Guardians and, you know, any way they can. And, you know, it's not as it's not as slick as Abensur being sure that this parallax thing might, you know, is a bigger danger than the Guardians are talking about. But I thought for this series, you know, you can't start with Sinestro 
Uh, in fact, I, I like the fact that they waited to do the fall of Sinestro to the second uh, Emerald Dawn. Spoilers. Uh, and you can't really, you know, what other villain are you going to use? Are you going to use, you know, Jeff Johns managed to kind of work in Hector Hammond a little bit into Secret Origin, and then you had Atrocitus and all that, which was something that was dealing more with what was coming up in, you know, Blackest Night and the War of the Light and all that kind of stuff. But to me, it was kind of that, I don't want to say perfect, like, origin villain, but I think it was good for this series, if that makes any sense. I think it does. But I also think it makes sense why, at the end of the day, when they were originally aiming to use Legion in the movie, why it would make sense they would try to get, put something else in that would be either be better known and potentially a bigger problem than a villain that really hasn't... Have we even seen Legion since? Did he show up again? I am struggling to remember reading the Gerard Jones run because, frankly, I think Gerard Jones is the only one that would want to deal with Legion. Um, I, I don't remember him ever returning during the Kyle Rayner run, uh, and and definitely never during the uh, the Jeff Johns the Jeff Johns run because he you know he retconned the origin post Infinite Crisis. Right. Uh, so, so I think this is the only time we we saw him. I you know I'll agree with you that he wouldn't have made a good villain for the movie. Because, you know, because for years I was like, well, you know, if you're going to do a Green Lantern movie, just do Emerald Dawn because, you know, it's got everything you need, you know, like a big villain and like all all of the Green Lanterns and blah, blah, blah. And then I'm like reading it again. And I'm like, you know, I don't think he's ready for the big screen. Uh, I'm not even sure he's ready for an animated film, uh, in, in all honesty. But I think he served a good purpose here. So it's, it's kind of like one of those things where you don't have to go back to that well, because basically then you have to have all those things get back into that suit. And they've already, you know, uh, the the reveal of what Legion was won't work twice. So there's really no point to bring it, them, whatever, back. God, pronouns are so difficult <laughs> with this villain. Words are hard. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm I on the... Uh... I'm sorry, I'm, I'm on the uh, Comic Vine website, which it's not 100% reliable, but sometimes I check it for character appearances, especially when I'm trying to set up reviews for Ragman or something. But according to them, he only appears in Emerald Dawn. Which I thought was correct. I don't remember ever seeing him come back in the Gerard Jones run, which I do own a lot of. And I certainly know he wasn't in the Kyle run, and he wasn't in anything since. But I, so that just meant... And that was more just as a reinforcement for probably why it made sense for them to want to swap him out and not keep him as the villain in the movie. Now, what, now, the version of Parallax they gave us was horrible with really bad explanation and setup, so they should have they could have done something a, a tad better, but it made sense why Legion himself, you know, I think why, they, why that part of his origin was uh, why they decided to change that. So, and, I, and obviously I'm sure that was part of the Jeff Johns influence and. In, uh, and also setting up potentially what could have happened, what could have happened afterwards. Uh, thoughts, Chad, in general? Uh, I don't. I'm not saying that. Again, my main problem with the series, if I if I were to complain about anything, was what I said earlier about Hal's personality and the drunkenness and stuff like that. 
the 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 Legion thing. I, I accepted him as a villain for this story, but I couldn't help but, of course, compare him to the film and, like, how would this character be portrayed in live action, which I really shouldn't have done because then I'm judging it on something that never happened. Uh, so it's kind of unfair to judge it by that standard. But, I don't know, I just... Maybe I'm just so over the... And maybe, maybe Mike, you feel the same way about Superman stories. You know, when when Kryptonite enters the picture or Magic enters the picture, you know, you're just you're as Green Lantern fans are like sick of the the, the whole yellow thing. Like there are other ways uh, to make an interesting threat uh, to face the core. Um, but at the same time, I guess the point of Legion wasn't necessarily his physical threat. Uh, as you mentioned earlier about, you know, the, the the mistake the Guardians made. So, yeah. And, w- and once they crack him open, that's when the real threat, you know, takes on Ola. I mean, it, it's hard fighting him, but I think they prove I think they proved your point, actually, because Hal is finally able to kind of crack him open after covering him in dirt. Yeah. So this, this is why the yellow thing, you know, it, why I was really glad they got rid of it during the Kyle era. Because it's one of those things where uh, I, I feel so bad for you that you had to read a lot of that Silver Age stuff initially in black and white, because I'm sure the yellow stuff just had no real impact, because <laughs> you can't see True. yellow. But, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's that, it, it, it's that like, that fatal flaw, like, oh, oh well, he's, he's got yellow, so, uh, you know, obviously I'm powerless and all that, where, you know, I, I, where I will give it up to writers like Ron Mars and Jeff Johns and Judd Winnick is that they created these menaces that were just powerful enough to take on a Green Lantern ring. Uh, whereas I think here you kind of get both of those. You, you, you have the yellow thing and that's solved rather easily, but the, you know, the, the mercury pool, as I keep calling it at the end is really where they were, you know, where Oa was in peril. And it took Hal going into the the battery, a trick he will do several times in several different iterations of um, uh, like adaptations, like he did it in the animated film First Flight, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, I really enjoyed. Actually, I, I think it's a film without a first act, but I, I also think it's a really enjoyable Green Lantern flick. Uh, but you know, as far as like having problems with the overall series I, I think my only all my problems are nitpicky it's really kind of funny it's like i enjoyed everything overall but every once in a while like I, I i'm annoyed at the fact that they have a retcon in the actual issue in the actual series because one issue you see cat matui and she's running out with hal and and an issue later it's sinestro and she's gone so I don't know what that was all about. I really don't. I don't know if they miscolored a character or if they were really trying to have Katma be the Green Lantern in this, you know, be a Green Lantern in this, and then decided, you know what, maybe we could actually do the fall of Sinestro as a story uh, and, and and kind of flesh that out. So that's like my biggest problem with the, with the six issues. I know that's kind of silly, but, you know, between the art and, you know, kind of where the, where the writing uh, you know the, the the directions the writing took. I, I I don't really have any overall complaints. I wish I did. Now I feel like I haven't brought anything to the table on oh, that. 
No, we're, we're not. We're not here just to bust every story a new one. That's not our. That's not our raison d'être. Uh, <clears throat> Despite our reputation, right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah we, we've we've been a little hard on the reason stuff, but I think that's more due to uh, company and editor decisions than actual creator stuff. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, what do we think of the art? I know, Mike, you said you wanted to talk about uh, M.D. Bright a little bit. Uh, he is one of my top five Green Lantern artists, in all honesty. I know he really, you know, when you compare him to other artists, he, you know, like if, like if you compare time-wise to him and Joe Staten, Joe Staten's done a lot more. But there is something about the way he draws this character that makes me all, like, fanish inside. Uh, one, he is a great, you know, just comic book artist in general. Uh, I really like his Iron Man stuff. I don't know if you guys have ever read Quantum and Woody, uh, but I would suggest tracking down the original series from the 90s because it was this really funny superhero series. But there is something about the way he draws Green Lantern that just makes me like, that's Green Lantern to me. And maybe it's because you know of when I was exposed to him, especially through the series and through Emerald Dawn 2 and the the stories he drew uh, in the um, in the main series when he was one of the like kind of the artists they you know uh, what what is that word I'm looking for uh, they bounced around or they had like rotating artists at first and then it, it was just you know Mark Bright uh, plus he was the artist on the Green Lantern crossover the Reign of the Superman so uh, you know, yes. I'm, I'm gonna hit him with that but no I just think I I think his women are a little funky. Uh, Carol sometimes looks a little off, uh, but she does have the hard look really down. But just just to the way he draws the Green Lantern costume, the way he draws the other Green Lanterns, and you know the alien nature of it. I mean, it's just like that looks. That's quintessential Tomar Reed. That's quintessential um, uh, retcon. I mean, uh, you know. <laughs> I don't mean to make fun of it, but that's uh, that's quintessential Kilowog to me. You know, Salak. You know, he just draws all these characters just so amazingly. Uh, and and I guess we're gonna have to talk about the the, the Kilowog retcon at some point. But I, I don't know. What do you guys think of it? I mean, I'm I'm just gushing all over it. I'm I'm interested in in, in other opinions. Uh, I I like it. I don't have any issues with it uh, in particular. I think that there are times the backgrounds look a little off to me, whether or not they're they're. Fu- I, I I've I've made no secret in uh, in other shows that I typically have a problem with uh, with blank backgrounds. I don't care what the color of the background is, but if the background's super simple and there should be something there, I think that 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 bothers me. And I think there's sometimes. I judge that unfairly because there are times when a the artist needs to um, focus on an upcoming panel, or the artist has to uh, to convey action in a particular panel. You know, all eyes on what is happening here and there. But as far as um, uh, anatomy, as far as detail, um, I don't have any issues with it. Uh, and if I were to point out any issues. I'm not entirely sure that they're even legitimate because what I'm doing is I'm reading this on a digital copy. So uh, is my copy blurred from an issue or, I mean, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, so I don't, I don't have any particular issues with it. I like the art. 
I th- it does remind me, you know, of the Gerard Jones era, and as Michael pointed out, you know, the the reign of the Superman tie-in, you know, which actually was the first Green Lantern issue that I bought, even though I did not start reading the book until '51. I did get the reign of the Superman issue because it was the reign of the Superman issue. So, <laughs> so I'm so this art style is very similar. You know, it, it makes it kind of like makes me feel at home when I'm reading this stuff because it does kind of remind me of the of the era that I read most of the initial Hal stories and even when I backtrack to get other issues. So I did like that. So I think the I think the art. So I do like the artwork. I don't. I never. I didn't have any. Yeah, I don't have any complaints about the about the artwork. I mean, Kilowog's face looks kind of weird, but I mean, Kilowog's face as, always not, looks weird. Yeah, yeah know, not as weird as Kilowog looks on that cover of Green Lantern Corps when he first showed up. <laughs> Jesus yeah, Christ! Not, you know, I love Joe Staten, but some of his Green Lantern work uh, on Green Lantern Corps was not the best. It's like it started off really strong, uh, but got kind of wonky there. But I'll put Joe Staten in my top five too. So there. Um, so I'll talk out of both sides of my face on that. Uh, I, you know, of other things that I, I enjoyed about the series, I really liked, you know, at first I wasn't a big fan of them, like going to the, getting to the core so soon. Uh, I felt like one of the problems with the film is that I'd rather see a movie where he's just kind of figuring out, you know, you know, I'm a Green Lantern what is that? I'm on Earth. What does that mean? And then we get the core in the next film. But I think here, it, you know, uh, Giffen and Jones kind of play it really smooth. Uh, like in the film, one of the first Green Lanterns he comes across is Tomar Reedy. Also, like in the film, he's trained by Kilowog, not Sinestro, but Kilowog kind of knocks him around a little bit. And that, to me, at the time, I didn't realize this because, you know, I think Chad and I have had this conversation before. When, when when Kilowog showed up in Green Lantern Corps, nobody knew who he was. It's really funny reading those issues now, because now Kilowog was one of the main guys. It's kind of like when Frank Miller said, oh, Alfred's been there since uh, Bruce Wayne was a boy. Because he didn't bother to do his research to figure out that at one point that Alfred just shows up one day. You know, now that I think about it, Alfred and Kilowog have a lot in common, and I've never thought I would say that sentence. <laughs> That's going to be the pull quote. But, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> but uh, I like that Kilowog was was retconned into that position, though, because I like that drill sergeant uh, aspect to his personality. You know, to, to me though, for a while there, he was always the 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 guy that was the uh, tech guy for the Justice League during the Bwahaha era, which I hear some guys doing a show about. I'm not quite sure. I yeah, think Chad's need... been on it. I'm not yeah. sure. It's, it's all a, a really horrible fever dream. <laughs> I'm going to be talking to him in a couple of days. He's going to give me so much crap about that. Um, <laughs> but um, I just... I, 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 when we... As soon as I accepted that the core is going to be part of it, I kind of like seeing Hal's training. You know, they, they you know they, they they do it in kind of a montage fashion because even Rocky got a montage. Uh, but I like that Hal is kind of thrust out there as kind of an outsider from the very beginning, 
I'm a little weirded out that he gets to be the hero of the piece, but, you know, it's his story, so why not? Like, no one ever thought of flying into the battery before Hal. That's a... <laughs> But, that, then but, again, that's, but that's important, though. I was going to mention that, because that is kind of important, knowing everything we know about what eventually happens to Hal. Having Setting that up that Hal... Not that, it's, not that it necessarily had to be, and it necess, not necessarily is, that Hal's got some unique quality which makes him really capable of, absor- of absorbing at least some, and potentially all, the central power battery. But just, a, but just the fact that, especially knowing what we know now, and just having, again, having that been done before... I think that kind of, I, I, that's one of the things I actually liked about this, the fact that we, we already kind of established that Hal, that Hal can do that and good things have come from it from Hal's perspective before. <laughs> 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 Keep it in your back pocket. You might, ne- you might need that someday. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but it was a perfect segue. No, 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 you're, you're absolutely right. I love that uh, we also kind of get at the end that the Guardians – uh, don't really think much of Hal, <laughs> in all honesty. They're like, oh, great, another guy like Abin. <laughs> That's just what we needed. But wouldn't it make sense that the ring would pick out a like-minded person? Yes, it would. I mean, it goes with what they're doing today, since you know the whole Simon Baz was picked because a mix of what Hal Jordan and Sinestro wanted, because that was a combination that ring that found Simon was a combination of both of theirs. And even Jessica, the fact that we, what mm. we're seeing is one of the things that one of the things I really, really like about that series, and there won't be too many th- examples of things that went, I will use that as a preface, <laughs> but I really, it's, it's amazing it took us this long to get a even though there's some elements of that even in this story, but, but just on the, on the very rudimentary level. But I like the fact that there's the, the idea that the ring bearer in the ring can have an actual, basically an interpersonal relationship. The way they interact can be different based on the ring bearer in the ring, and I think that can factor in. It makes perfect sense that that would be the case because it also would explain why some Green Lanterns are maybe capable of doing more than others besides something, you know, quantitative like willpower, like midichlorian kind of thing. It's like your, your willpower is this level and you can't get to the idea that if you and your ring have a different kind of relationship, then maybe the ring is going to be able to do do different things, even if it's outside the box a little bit more because of the relationship that you have with it. So I kind of like I kind of like that concept. So and I think that's and so it is kind of, I like the a uniqueness between the ring and its bearer, and it would make sense that if something happened, if you have a ring and a bearer who are really who have been through a lot together and are really close, it would make sense given the choice. Based on the basic criteria that you have, that you're you know pre-programmed to look for in a successor, you probably would try to pick out somebody for someone who was very close to the to the bearer who just died. Uh, what did you guys think of the uh, the attitude of the ring as it talked to him? Yeah, I wanted to bring that up actually because in issue number three, there's a lot of communicating between Hal and the ring. Um, and it's all very uh, analytical sounding. I mean, it sounds more uh, technical. It sounds, you know, it, you know, uh, you know, is 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 this an inquiry? You know, that kind of a thing. And then the very next issue, the next time it speaks to him, he's like, "Ring, you've mentioned other Green Lanterns. Can I meet one?" And it goes now, and he says, "I suppose so." And the ring goes, "You got it." Like, 
Like it's it's suddenly its personality has suddenly switched. Now I get it, you know, and I do agree with Mark in the terms of like the ring getting used to the new bearer and kind of customizing itself to you know the 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 interactions it has between lantern and ring. But at, like at the same time, like <laughs> within a matter of minutes, no, there's like there's a switch that's flipped. Like I it, like you know it it instead of saying you got it, it should have said like you know. Affirmative, commencing action, you know, something like that. I thought it was weird, but I did, I did like that the fact that the 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 ring was talking to him. I also, and just as a quick side note, and we can get to this later, but I also liked the whole intro sequence. Instead of like in the movie, you got you know Jeffrey rushes billions of years ago, the guardian, you know, that whole thing. Instead of that, you got Abin's voice kind of in Hal's head explaining the history. I like that too. Yeah, I'm not a really big fan of beginning a film with an info dump, uh, which is, you know, which unfortunately we we've seen that again and again and again in the past like ten or fifteen years of films. Um, you know, I, I appreciate the fact that they get an actor of the caliber of Jeffrey Rush to deliver it because when you hear that voice, you're like, well, I'll listen to what this man has to say. Uh, I guess if I was going to redo it, I would just get like Neil deGrasse Tyson to explain it because I think, uh, I, I, God, he actually, yeah, that'd be kind of awesome to have him as the voice of Hal's Ring in a film. Now that I think about it, but no, I, I think the uh, that whole thing of of how Hal is brought to Abin and like you were saying, where he, you know, it's explaining to him what's going on. And what is happening to him, what is happening, you know, what is happening to Abin and was now is happening to Hal. And then we get which leads up to that great, like, full page splash of the first issue of him having the uniform on for the first time. And him like it looks like he's about to shake the power battery, like to make it work almost, which is I don't know. That's a guy thing to me. Like if you like something's not working, you just kind of pick it up and shake it. But um that actually leads into to, to one minor note I wanted to, to make. One of the cool things that they don't really go into too much here is that we're in a DC universe that has not had a bunch of superheroes in a while. Yeah. So so Hal actually feel it actually feels like you know they don't really reference anything else. So it's totally Hal's story. But I also get the same feeling that while this is happening. You know, a lab tech is getting hit by lightning and a guy in Gotham City is fighting crime in a bat costume and Superman is just, you know, coming onto the scene of Metropolis and all that. And and I just really like that. I like that that kind of energy. Like, this is the beginning. This is where it all starts. And the, the only problem with that is, is that they get to play with that in here. But then, you know the next thing we see is how with gray temples and feeling like, you know, going through an eight issue, uh, you know, kind of, uh, I don't even know what I want to call it. Like, a like he's having a midlife crisis and it's, it's kind of a weird jump there, but here it's just like, wow, this is the dawn of the DC universe. That is so awesome. Yeah. Cause the only thing they mention is, he says, you know, I, I don't seem to remember anybody having powers like this except for not since World War II or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And then, and, and that just calls back to that there haven't been heroes for a long time. 
Not since the JSA. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, but uh, that that was you know just because uh, I brought it up a minute ago about uh, Avin's voice and, and Hal's head. That's something I haven't really thought about until just now. I may have thought about it in the periphery, but like never really uh, dissected it. I wonder if that would have been a better would have been one of the things that would have made the the 2011 movie a better movie is if we got no space, no aliens, no space, no nothing until Abin shows up so that we're sort of learning all this as Hal is instead of knowing, Oh, there's something out there coming for him. Now we, as the general public or as comic book fans, it doesn't really matter. know by seeing the title green lantern and having whatever knowledge and, you know, knowing the stuff about, Whatever general stuff you go into the movie knowing, uh, whether it be trailers or whatever, know that in general something's coming. But at least from ha- from immersing yourself in the cinematic experience and you know focusing on a character, I wonder if it would have been better to experience all of this as Hal does instead of setting up, you know, uh, Abin's is wounded and heading towards Earth and Parallax is out there and Sinestro. And then you have the whole info dump of the Sinestro Corps. You, it might have worked. Or, uh, or not the Sinestro Corps, the Green Lantern Corps. Green Lantern Corps, yes. Uh, yeah. It might have worked, but some, but it could have been walking that fine line between showing and not telling. You know, or, or telling and not showing. That uh, Because even though you would do it visually, like in flashbacks or holograms or something like that, sometimes, eh, I don't know. I don't necessarily... You're right in the sense that the main reason they probably gave us the, the they only gave us that background for the core was so you could have you know Parallax awaken and then have you know Abin deal with him, but it obviously there's the there's so many things they could have done differently in that movie, including the and from a narrative structure point of view, just the you know the they the whole thing with the confusion about what the hell Parallax was and why it you know, looked like a Guardian and then it wasn't didn't look like a Guardian again. <laughs> it's like they could have done a better job. That's something that might have been better off being explained kind of a lot, certainly a lot and sooner than they did in a better way than they did. But I, I don't know. It, it's kind of hard to look at that movie and figure out exactly exactly uh, all the things that went wrong with it. <laughs> I, I I don't know if it's hard. I think it's just maybe like you don't. Yeah, well, yeah, because it's one of those things where I enjoy that film. Like if if I'm you know, like surfing through channels and I you know nothing else is going on and I see that it's on FX because FX seems to like to show it every five minutes uh, along, usually with a bunch of Marvel films, which just confuses the piss out of me. But. Uh, you know, I'll sit there and watch it because, you know, it one, it is a Green Lantern movie, and it's the only one out there. And two, there are things about the film that I really enjoy. I really enjoy that it was kind of an old-school superhero film, you know, released in 2011. But, you know, you're right. I mean, just sitting there going, well, they could have done this wrong, they could have done this better, they could have done this better. You know, at that point, you're just like, well, why am I even watching this now if I'm just going to sit here and pick it apart? Uh but yeah, I'll totally agree that I'd rather it's almost like they didn't trust us as an audience. Like we don't trust the audience that if he sees this alien and then the alien tells him a bunch of stuff that that's the best way to impart this information to them. 
Whereas I think that's the best way because if we just open on Hal being Hal and then suddenly, holy crap, you know, he, he, you know, he saw an alien and it talked to him and it gave him this ring. I think that, I think that gives more of a sense of wonder than starting the thing with, oh, by the way, there's all these things in the, out there, and this guy's just going to be one of them. So it makes him less special in a way. That's a good point. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think one of my favorite things about the uh, the issue, well, the series, it comes in the last two issues with how just it, the, the Guardians wake up and he hasn't really had much of an info dump on them directly. He's had a lot of info dumps and references to them, but not necessarily like a, 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 I mean, he's been going through training, so maybe, but we don't, based on what we see on panel, he doesn't have a lot of information about them. So I just like how he immediately starts ignoring everything they tell him to do. (laughs) (laughs) Since the moment they wake up, he's not listening to a single word they say. Good instinct. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Which which I think is just, you know, quintessential, quintessential how. Um, Like, I mean, seriously, they uh, uh, Salak gets thrown by Legion into where the Guardians are sleeping. And that's a good splash page. And then Legion gets tangled in the cables on that one page. And then the very next page, Hal is cutting the cables and not listening to anybody telling him to do anything. (laughs) Which I think is fantastic. (laughs) Well, their whole interaction at the end is basically Hal, from the very beginning, going, I don't trust you people. If you've done this, what else are you capable of? And on the flip side, they don't like Jordan's influence on the core. So it's like one of these things where even though they're the heads of this organization, the ring picks who the ring picks and they've just got to kind of deal with that. So it's, 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 it's a weird, it's almost like they're managers of a, of an organization that don't get to really truly pick who they hire. They can fire you, but the ring is the one that chooses you. So, you know, it's just like, great, another one like Abbott. That's all we needed, and except the one going, well, maybe we do. So, but, yeah, I do like the fact that it, it goes into that right right from the jump. Uh, Hal doesn't really want to listen to them at all. Yeah. Uh, just curi- out of curiosity, how long do you guys think Hal stayed in this correctional facility? Uh, 90 days. 90 days? Yeah, it's, that's probably about right, give or take. It's, it's, it's the subtitle to Emerald Dawn 2. Oh. Oh, is it? Never yes. mind. I did not read that in preparation if you for look this. At the, if, if you, well, if, I, I understand that, but if you look at the cover, it's Emerald Dawn 2, 90 days. There's, there's always a 90 days on the cover. Gotcha. Well... Thanks for that definitive answer to that question. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so, Mark, from a from a futuristic standpoint, you know, uh, hindsight being twenty twenty, he enters the battery. He comes out supercharged. He has ion in him. No. 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 
No, I think just the power of the battery. Just the power of the battery. So, you, so if you really wanted, to, if you, of course, his hair is in gray, so we couldn't really connect the dots as much. But if you yeah. wanted to make the, but if you, if they hadn't, kind of, if they hadn't established the fact that it was basically Sinestro who helped wake up Parallax and make him kind of want to go after Hal and that connection, that you could almost make a case that that could be the first interaction between Parallax becoming aware of Hal Jordan because that was because Hal went into the battery. Yeah, yeah, I don't think, I, yeah, Ion doesn't. I know the reason why you said that because because of our discussion and your speculation that maybe Hal had both Ion and Parallax in him at, when he absorbed the central power battery, thus one balancing out the other for to a certain extent. So Hal, which would kind of explain why Hal was still capable of doing really good things. But they never have really given us a good explanation for why he was able to overcome Parallax when he just didn't seem. Nobody else seems to be capable of doing that, including Hal himself. When he became Parallax the second time, willingly, he couldn't control Parallax. Uh, only Sinestro could. But no, I don't. I just think it was him absorbing him, just absorbing the absorbing the power. But you never you never know because it's the whole the whole ion power as far as what how powerful Kyle was. Never like we've talked about on that episode. It still never makes sense to me. You have this portion of the Oblivion power and a fragment of what's left of Hal's from Parallax power. These two things come together, and then now Kyle's supposed to be more powerful than like Hal ever was as Parallax. I don't know, but that's a different topic. But I would say probably just just supercharged. He didn't drain the whole power battery anyway, so. But the touch is definitely playing when he's coming out. I mean, it just, it just has to be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, had a, I had a couple really small notes. One, I like the fact that at the end, when we see the penitentiary, it's Gardner Broom uh, Penitentiary. I did not uh, catch that. Good call. Little callback to uh, Gardner Fox and John Broom. Uh, the, the scene where Hal shows up at you know the destroyed Ferris aircraft... I'm like, you know, I only, I know that happened at least once, you know, again, like during uh, when he came back to Earth and uh, right before he quit during the early part of the Len Wein, um, uh, Dave Gibbons run, uh, he would show up and, 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 and Ferris Aircraft gets trashed. I now want to figure out how many times Eris Ferris, Ferris Aircraft, I can say that, I promise, Ferris Aircraft has been destroyed in some part due to what Hal, you know, even inadvertently <laughs> due to Hal's shenanigans, essentially. Um, I like the flashback uh, to show what happened to Abin Uh And I like that it, it leads right into a fight with Legion. That was a really great uh, narrative trick. Uh, I also kind of appreciate that even though he's in space and even though he's training to be a Green Lantern, he's got all this stuff going on and he reads the Book of Oa. And I think this is the first time we saw the Book of Oa like this. Uh, he wants to check in at Andy's funeral, uh, which just kind of serves to make Carol just angrier at him, essentially. Uh, or not Carol, sorry. Jack? Oh, Jack. Uh, don't know why I screwed that up. Uh, and... Because Carol's always yeah, angry now. Car- well, well, Carol's also there. That's probably why. <laughs> and uh, three, I absolutely love all of these covers. I I, I, I don't think everyone is truly poster worthy, uh, but that, especially the the one to issue one, that's the cover they chose 
for that more recent trade paperback that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it looks really slick recolored, too. Oh, it looks so good. <laughs> yeah, the cover to issue four kind of reminds me of one of the early covers to one of the Silver Age issues. Um, when, uh, like, on the right side of the page is, like, the very front side of the power battery, and the core is standing around Hal and saying something like, we sentence you or something. Mm-hmm. That's that. That reminds me of that old school Silver Age uh, issue. But my favorite is probably the cover to issue five, when yeah. Legion is standing on top of the battery. Yeah, five is great. I, you know, just looking at three, three kind of reminds me of I think it was issue two of Green Lantern Rebirth. But you kind of have I think you kind of have I think they kind of show Ferris aircraft I thought destroyed and kind of like Hal with his hands kind of like trying to figure out what's going on. I think there was I think that kind of reminds me a little I think of the cover for because that was the issue when I think Hal as a specter shows up at Ferris aircraft or something. And yeah, and starts rebuilding the the runways and the planes. Yeah, and stuff. yeah. So I think so that's that's what that kind of remind reminded me of a, a little. Um, yeah, but the covers are the covers are all good. But I think I, I think I agree. Five is five is really cool with Legion standing on top of the central power battery. I think I think six would be the best if there was more detail in it. Not that all mm-hmm. the lanterns there aren't phenomenal, and that those are that's not a cool cover. But I don't think there's enough detail in that for me to say it's uh, the best of them. And the background isn't that great. I don't True. Think of that one. Yeah. Um, anything else? Yeah, it's, sorry, I'm just, I just keep flipping through these various issues, and I keep noticing how many times I'm saying Sinestro. Which is, <laughs> yeah, which is a good segue because when you think about it, you know, this is one of the reasons why now we, you really can't do anything about it because it's become so much. So much of, of like Hal's origin, the Sinestro part has become so big, a bigger part of Hal's origin. Not as in getting the ring, but make but part of his you know traditional following the beats of what happens. That he you know was he he was you know Sinestro's a student pretty much. That but I was never I see I I was part of the reason I'm not I was never really married to that idea. And of course since rebirth you have no choice pretty much. It's just the fact that. Like we talked about, what kind of villain you could put if you were going to do an origin story for Hal Jordan? The natural villain would be, you think, would be Sinestro. And you could do it, but now you can't because you have to have Sinestro still be a Green Lantern based on kind of like the way continuity has been so established now. It's got to be Sinestro has to still be a core member. They have to be friends first. But if you take away Sinestro from the mix, and then, you know, especially at this point, you know, Black Hand was still just a peon and things like that, that there's like, Hal doesn't really have that many good villains. <laughs> Certainly back then, he doesn't have that many that are big threats. For, you know, if you're going to work the core into it, that are really core level threats. Huh, you don't like that puppet master guy or the <laughs> shark or I mean, what's wrong with you, man? Yeah, the Green Lantern core against the shark. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I guess Aqualad was busy that day. <laughs> but, um, Snap. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but the re- yeah, you think about it. even now, even now, when you really think about it, you take away you take away the emotional spectrum of it, which is part of the complaint that some people have about the emotional spectrum. That you take that away from it, really, who who's out there that's really that big a villain that's been showing up or has been established as a big threat? 
that really has no tie to the spectrum. You really, it's hard. Uh, so, in a way, I do. I mean, I've I've come to accept you know the whole Sinestro, how buddy buddy. That's and then going their separate ways, like and kind of like in a reverse Anakin Obi Wan thing, you know, with the master going bad and not the not the apprentice. But from a storytelling point of view, in a way, I don't necessarily know how relevant that. I don't know. I guess it's, I guess it serves a purpose, but I think it ties your hands too for like if you were starting something over like this. I mean, they kind of work around it once they do. Obviously, in Emerald Dawn too, so they kind of firmly establish Sinestro as the Sinestro we we kind of know. But I'm just thinking overall off the top of my head. If you're looking at Green Lantern villains. If you take out all the mem, you take out Sinestro. You take out all the members, all the different aspects related to the emotional spectrum, and then. So that includes Relic and people that have come after the fact. It's like Black Hand now too, because he's tied into the spectrum. I don't know. You don't have much of a choice. So maybe maybe Legion was a really good choice, and, and still kind of odd. Though you said yes, the reveal that is true. What Michael said was valid. The it's kind of the reveal that what's inside what's inside the yellow armor is kind of worse than the yellow armor. <laughs> that you can only do that once. But it's still kind of odd that in a way the Legion or some variation on Legion hasn't returned on some level. What about the tattooed man or sonar? Which tattooed man? Because then they give us another tattooed man not that long. Oh ago. yeah, there's like there's been at least three. It's like the tattooed family. <laughs> I don't know, Goldface. Yeah. What was it? The man in the iron lung or something? Or in one of in one of them? Yeah, like one yeah, of one of them was some dude in an iron lung or something. <laughs> yes, yes, it was. It was. Oh Lord. Uh, you know that 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 whole Green Lantern Corps thing is so up and down. It's a roller coaster ride. It certainly, it really is. Hey, when was the last time we saw Hector Hammond? Have we even? Seen uh, really? Brightest day. Yeah, wasn't the last time we saw him in a Green in a Green Lantern comic? Wasn't the last time when he was possessed by uh, what you call it? I can't believe I draw. I can't believe I drew. Uh, Ophidian. Ophidian. Yeah, I can't. I was just gonna say I can't believe I drew a blank on Ophidian. Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, so he didn't, he didn't show up, so he didn't show up at all in the New 52. Uh, I don't think so. In the regular Green Lantern book, I don't think that he did. Don't ask me, I I was still thinking of Green Lantern villains, and that's, and that's the reason why, but, because Hector Hammond, other than being teased (laughs) a little bit with the emotional spectrum, especially in the movie, but overall, he didn't have that much direct ties to the emotional spectrum, so that's why. I'm actually... I'm actually uh, scrolling through old school '60s uh, digital copies that I have, and uh, what about Brutus Force? Like Brutus Beefcake? No, <laughs> no. <clears throat> I'm kidding. I don't know if you guys ever remember seeing this cover, but it's from Green Lantern number 29, where Hal Jordan is in the ring with some like dude in a in a leopard spotted leotard. <laughs> So, so I wasn't the, too far off saying Brutus Beefcake then. <laughs> a, a big, a big bald wrestler dude that's socking Hal Jordan with his own construct uh, uh, boxing glove, and he's called Brutus Force. Oh god! No, nobody. Okay. He's a black. I just keep thinking of Bruticus, who was uh, one of those trans- Decepticons. Was that the Combaticons formed Bruticus? I believe. I. Uh, Nothing to do. <laughs> Ignore me at this point, really, because it's late and I'm drunk. <laughs> what, what about Prince Carol? 
about, how about Sorry. Lord Malvolio? Shouldn't they be, isn't it about time? To oh, my God, back? Malvolio. Should, Do yeah. not mock Malvolio. He was awesome <laughs> in that novel. But shouldn't somebody bring... He's another character, you would think. There, there are certain villains and certain characters that you could play with that really have completely disappeared off the radar screen. In a way... Evil Star... What? Evil Star? Evil. Yeah, Evil but Star. Evil Star comes back. They keep teasing Evil Star here and there and give him a retcon and a trench coat and stuff like that. So it makes no sense. But I'm just thinking, Malvolio was a character you would, th- in a way, you almost would think Jeff Johns would I, try to do something with Malvolio. I had a, I have a good friend named Thomas DJ uh, who actually discussed both of these series, uh, both Emerald Dawns with me on, um, on Views from the Long Box back in like 2011. And he always thought that Malvolio could be the back door of why Hal went bad. Yeah, I remember because reading he, something like that. Because he takes Malvolio's ring in the latter part of Action Comics Weekly. Yeah. Yep. So that was, you know, he, you know, so that was kind of like a back door that they just never took. But I, I loved Malvolio in that Sleepers book two novel that Christopher Priest and somebody else wrote. Uh, that was kind of like the origin of the Golden Age Green Lantern. So I, I will have no disparaging of Malvolio in my presence. And that is the first and only time anybody will ever say that. <laughs> I didn't like those. I didn't like those novels when I read them. I appreciated them more after I heard them in graphic audio format. Yes, <laughs> I will stop that. <laughs> My, Michael and I can gush for hours about graphic audio. Uh, <clears throat> um, oh, by the way, for those listening, the uh, the the cover from the Silver Age I was thinking of was Green Lantern Fifty Five, where all the and for committing the worst crimes uh, of all crimes, Green Lantern of Earth, you have been sentenced to be power ring to death. I remember that. And the, and the uh, cover says, Cosmic Enemy Number 1, and a Guardian is counting down by saying, Ready, aim, and Hal's about to be killed. That's what I was thinking about. It was going to weigh on my head very heavily if I didn't figure it out. <clears throat> we need to talk about more, some more Silver Age stuff at some point. It's just so ridiculous. The Menace and the Iron Lung. Ridiculous. <laughs> um, what did you think? Did you did you notice the change from issue one to issue two in terms of the writer? Because I could definitely tell uh, with the more flourished um, narrative boxes. Yeah, I think Owsley was uh, was a little more straightforward. I mean, Owsley definitely has a sense of humor in his writing. But I, I think, you know, with the when we a good example of what you're saying is uh, of the uh, of the writing change, I think Gerard Jones coming on and doing that first time the ring is talking to him being all like formal. And then by the third issue or the fourth issue, he's just like, oh, I'm a little more I feel a little more comfortable in this world. I'm going to do a little more of what I do. Um in terms of, of the way Gerard Jones could kind of make characters comedic without making them, you know, like silly yeah, in a way. But yeah, there's a definite shift in tone. Uh, I think what, what keeps it smooth throughout is that we're working from a plot by Keith Giffen. And, uh, you know, when Keith Giffen's kind of steering the ship, there's a little more consistency in that. 
Yeah, but in terms of like the narrative boxes, for instance, uh, like in issue one, when when Martin's I actually screenshotted this this image when Martin's plane crashes and you can see the shadow of Hal and all that stuff in this in the explosion. The narrative box says it begins as the as the glorious din of a triumphant army. It grows with the crescendo of an archangel's shout. Like you don't get that sort of language in the following five issues. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Yeah, it just sort of leapt out to me as the only thing that I could 100% pinpoint as a shift from Owsley to Gerard Jones, which is Christopher Priest, right? James Owsley? Yes. Uh, he, uh, he got a divorce, and he told his wife that if they ever divorced, he would become a priest. Well, there you go. So he changed his name to Christopher Priest. I did not know that. In your face! (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, Did did we shoot our bolt already? I I think we've pretty much exhausted the topic. I mean, it was it's 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 a good series. I think it. If you haven't read it yet, it deserves to be read. Uh, Simply as this is another way you can do a Green Lantern origin. Uh, I think that new trade paperback is a good, uh, a perf- the perfect way to experience both Emerald Dawns. Uh, and I'm kind of a little disappointed, though I understand exactly why we're not going to get any further <laughs> trade paperbacks in that line. But thank God the Ron Mars uh, thing seems to still be on schedule um, and reprinting his entire run in trade paperback like they're doing with Mark Wade and The Flash. Uh, I, I will say this as, as one final small note. Uh, the, the, like I said, the first trade paperback of this uh, has a Mark Bright cover and is printed on tissue paper. The one, um, the one that Mark has was part of a line of trade paperbacks that came out around 2003, where they did Emerald Dawn One, Emerald Dawn Two, which was the first. I think the first time they reprinted that. Uh, the Road Back, a new printing of The Road Back, which is the first seven issues of the Gerard Jones run, and then a combination of Emerald Twilight and A New Dawn, which previously had been two trade paperbacks that they put into one, all with gorgeous Alan Davis covers, which are almost the reason to buy them, really, if you already have the issues. And I have have uh, all of them, actually, all all four of those. (laughs) Yeah, I finally tracked down that Emerald Dawn 2 one. Apparently it has gold in it because, oh, my God, it was expensive. <laughs> that, that thing went out of print and then went crazy in, in price, as, as trade paper trade paperbacks sometimes do. Mark, do you have anything else to say about this series? It was good going back and reading it again because it's been a long time since, since I had read it. I think I read it when I first bought it, and after I – and then – like Michael was talking about, it pretty much was picking up. I think I got that. I don't. I got that in Emerald Dawn too, and then the Road Back. I bought more or less to just to complete, kind of like to complete the collection in a way. Even though I had those issues, I think I had almost all those individual issues in Emerald in uh, Road Back. I might have missed missed a couple, maybe in it. So, but it was a good. It was good rereading it again. My thoughts really kind of didn't change that much that there are certain things i do really like about it and again there's some things that it kind of refreshed your memory like we talked about the thing related to overcoming fear and the power battery and things like that 
But overall, my you know my opinion has pretty much stayed the same. It is a good read. Michael's absolutely right. You should. It is something that. I, it is quintessential reading from the point of view of yes, it's it's another ver, it's another it's a way to tell a Hal origin story, and it was the origin story that kind of helped you know launch what volume three essentially or get open the door for volume three. So f- from a just from a history point of view, it's 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 important. It's important to read. Does it have that much to do with Green Lantern today as far as the actual origin and uh, how it, all the pieces connect? No, but the same basic beats in Hal's origin always remain. So, so. Uh, and just from being a relative newbie to this story, I would say absolutely go pick it up. I'm actually sort of disappointed in myself that I didn't buy that trade when I saw it the other day. Um, I'm pretty sure I didn't because of, of limited funds, but I think I might have thought I had Emerald Dawn in trade paperback form, but I think I was wrong. Um, because uh, I thought I had picked it up at a, a place. No, that was Power of Ion. Yeah, Power of Ion is is something I, I was looking for in trade paperback form for freaking ever. And ironically, the, the first time I go visit my mom just last year or two years ago um, in Portland, this little hole-in-the-wall shop in the middle of nowhere whose half their inventory is missing because they had just gone to Wizard World Portland. Uh, (laughs) I'm rummaging the one bookshelf they have of trade paperbacks and stumble across the Power of Ion. (laughs) Which is freaking odd. But I could have sworn, I thought I'd picked up Emerald Dawn, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I'm also curious, because I know Mike, you had said, you know, you think it's the best way to if you pick up the new trade paperback, it's the best way to read these stories. Do you think Emerald Dawn 1 and 2 are meant to be read back-to-back and in no other fashion? Because, Or do you think there is some merit to reading them the way they came out? Because some people like to, you know, they like to go back and, and they discover a character and they start at X point and they want to read the stories in the order that they came out. I, I honestly think since we're so far removed from this time period that you could do it either way. I don't think there's a there 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 is a, a way that is one way is not better than the other. Uh, I think if you are just wanting to read like a history in chronological terms, meaning you know this was year one, this was year two, and all that, reading both of them together is fine. Or you can, you know, read Emerald Dawn read the first year or so of the Gerard Jones run and then hop back onto uh, Emerald Dawn 2, uh, I, I think you can honestly do it either way. I'm not trying to be, you know, <laughs> not trying to be wishy-washy or sit on the fence, but uh, I, I think because that era is over and reading exp- you're not going to have that experience as it occurs, you could do it either way. Yeah. All right. Um, Before we go, we did have one topic we wanted to talk about. Mark, you wanted to, since we're talking about the movie, since we're talking about Hal Jordan-centric stories, you wanted to talk about something real quick? Sure. A little bit of news? Not as as recent for us, because (laughs) it's been a while. We haven't really had a chance to record since this kind of became... Well, I can't... Saying big is actually being quite generous, considering the interest probably is... has drained down and has dwindled so much since 2011. But a couple of weeks ago, they, you know, there was a, a story going around about supposedly like the, the short list of actors that 
uh, Warner Brothers is looking for to potentially play Hal Jordan and the Hal Jordan in the core, I mean the Green Lantern core uh, movie. So the six people that their names were being thrown out were, uh, let's see, Joel McHale, Army Hammer, Jake Gyllenhaal, Bradley Cooper, Tom Cruise, Ryan Reynolds, which is probably the most shocking name of those six, and I think we'll throw in James Marsden because we heard a rumor about Marsden shortly thereafter, like, like within a day or two of this original list. Uh, so, so, why does everybody should go around and say who, who they would eliminate right away and who would they keep as potential, <laughs> if, um, any, if any? So, Michael, uh, I, I, oh yeah, go ahead, Mike. I would immediately get rid of Tom Cruise. Um, that's never going to happen. Uh, and I think Ryan Reynolds has found a nice little niche as Deadpool. So uh, I'd probably eliminate him. Um, Dark Horse, James Marsden, just because I like him as an actor. Uh, I think the only problem is that then you would have to cast somebody uh, to romantically take Carol Ferris away. <laughs> because that enough. always... <laughs> It always happens to James Marsden in superhero films. That's why it's, it's a perfect just, casting. Um, I like Arnie Hammer. Uh, I really like the idea of Bradley Cooper playing Hal Jordan. I, I know he's all up in doing, you know, the voice of, of Rocket, but man, I would love to see him play that character. And no thoughts on Jake? Uh, <laughs> he's okay. I mean, it's just I I, I I don't agree with Family Guy that he's off-putting. Um, but I just I, I, Bradley's my Bradley's my main choice, followed by Army Hammer. With like I said, James Marsden being my dark horse in the running. Go ahead, Chad. I think uh, immediately get rid of Tom Cruise again. Uh, I would still consider uh, Ryan because I just think the problems with that movie weren't Ryan related. Um, and as far as <clears throat> if they're going for young, which it seems like with everybody but Superman and Batman, they seem to be going for. I say the Hammer Kid looks the part, but I've never seen him in anything. So I wouldn't be able to tell you whether he's got the chops for it or not. Uh, he was or the cast acting. as Batman. Yep. I did the, not know that. The In the George Miller Justice League movie that never happened, like before the writer's strike or whatever it was. Um, <clears throat> I agree with the Bradley Cooper thing. I'd like to see that. That'd be interesting. Jake Gyllenhaal, I've, uh, I'd really rather not. Um, the one thing I don't get is Joe McHale. Yes. Like, like that... It's horrible. Even... even <sighs> He, I mean, kind of looks like Hal, but he's too old. He's too lanky. Um, he, in his, I think even if you inject a small portion of the humor that Joel McHale has into the character of Hal, that that type of humor is not Hal. Uh, that's, I mean, that's because. <clears throat> And don't get me wrong, I love Joel McHale. I love the hell out of this TV show community. I rewatch that show all the time. I love that show. But he is not in any way, shape, and form Hal Jordan. And it's not just based on my experience with him in community. Like, I can just, I've seen him in other things, and I just, I don't see it. I cannot get my mind around that concept. 
So I would say if we're going for kids, if we're going for the for the young crew and Batman and Superman are leading and Wonder Woman are leading this whole outfit, then I would say we're going with the Hammer Kid. If we're going, if we're okay with a slightly older guy, because well, first of all, he's got to have you know experience in the military and stuff like that. He's got to be a test pilot, you know that kind of stuff. Then I would say Cooper's up. So I would; those would be my top two choices. But you like Marsden too? Yeah, I mean, I guess he's all right, but you were but on board. I, I, you were on board with that not that long ago. Your you, your opinion has changed. That's why. That's the only reason I'm pressing you on this because I thought you'd be more enthusiastic for Marsden because you were kind of all for him when that rumor came out. Um, let me see here. I because I forgot what he looked like. <laughs> um. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cyclops. I, th- yeah, 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 yeah. I, that, that makes sense visually. I think it's a good middle ground between Cooper and and Hammer, but uh, I don't know. But I, but I think I think my problem with him is the Cyclops, and I think that's unfair because of like when people, uh, when when people uh, judged. Uh, why am I blanking on Captain America's name? Chris Evans. <laughs> Yeah, Chris Evans for, you know, his role in uh, as Johnny Storm and then people, you know, judging Ryan, you know, for his role in Green Lantern, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, well, except, and, except the one difference is people liked Chris Evans as Johnny Storm. <laughs> that was one well, of the, be- I know, I, that was one of the I better know, parts of the movie. At least Ryan's criticism was they didn't – whether you're blaming it on Ryan or not, the fact is that not that many people thought that – his Hal Jordan was like dead on perfect. <laughs> well, well. Also, the, what I'm talking about is the style of acting that uh, that will. Yes, that, the humor. The humor. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I could see it, but I'd have to like, I'd have to see. Uh, it wouldn't be a, an episode with Bailey without the dogs. Okay. <laughs> like, we're, we're animal friendly here. <laughs> uh, I, I I would have to see Marsden and something else. He's been a lot of stuff. But I know what you mean. I know. I know. I know yeah. what you mean. Um, okay, on my list, first of all, yes, Mikhail is like, he's like a, it's like a, it's a non-negotiating point. You get rid of him right away. Uh, I know Bradley Cooper made it to the final three, supposedly the first time around, and I, I am more amenable to the idea of Bradley Cooper this time, but I still don't think he's necessarily right for it. I, I actually, I would... Even if Ryan Reynolds would do it, and we know he wouldn't do it, I would eliminate Ryan Reynolds to begin with for one. And this is kind of being petty for me, but I, I think he, I think his making fun of and mocking Green Lantern now has kind of gotten to the point where it's annoying. I, there's a, there's a fine line between you know like kind of like that self-deprecating humor. I just think he's continually making fun, of like like when he won that award. What, which award did he just win that he that somebody brought out like a Green Lantern power battery and he smashed it or something like that? And it's like, it's like, that's kind of rubbing me the wrong way. And I also honestly, it's rubbing me the wrong way. Just how now? I mean, if you left, if you listen to Ryan Reynolds, the whole reason that movie supposedly was well, the main reason that movie sucked because was there was no script when they were shooting or something like that. And we know there were drafts of that movie. Maybe there was not. Maybe there was a draft that was being reworked while they were filming it but he makes it sound like they started making the movie and they had no script literally at all kind of like a Jurassic Park 3 had like no ending or something I that's the first time I had ever heard that and I and 
I so I don't necessarily know if I'm going to just automatically assume it's true because Ryan Reynolds says it. It might be true, but I, I just think he's. I think he's gone because on a personal note, I think he's gone to the point of crapping on that movie enough where it's not cute anymore, and now it's like you know. Let's be let's be honest. You take Deadpool out of the mix. Ryan Reynolds has, is not exactly Mr. Box Office. The only, movie, only hit movies he's ever been in have been basically when he's been second banana to somebody, especially like in a romantic comedy. So I just I think it's kind of put. I just think it's got gotten to the point where it almost would be it almost would be a little kind of pathetic if Warner Brothers would ask him back, even if they thought he would do it. So push that aside. Uh, I'm not against Gyllenhaal because I think Gyllenhaal could pull it off. And ironically, if they were going, supposedly the Green Lantern Corps movie is going to be like Lethal Weapon, but the older cop, younger cop. So if you assume that Hal's going to be the older cop, and he John, better be. If John yes, Stewart yes, is older yes, than yes. Hal, I'm going to flip out. Yes. If, so if you're going with the Lethal Weapon concept with basically Hal being Roger, I could actually see. And again, I don't think he would do it either. But I, I would not be against Tom Cruise doing that under those circumstances if you're making Hal older. If Hal is supposed to be the veteran Green Lantern Corps member kind of winding down, which, of course, also opens the door if you did want to kind of ever want to do a parallax thing without having to worry about aging him too fast or things like that, I would not be against it. But I don't think he's going to – but I don't think he would do it. I agree. So of all the people we're talking about, Marsden is actually the person that I would prefer to have the role. And I kind of thought all along Marsden was somebody who I thought looked and could pull off being Hal Jordan. I thought I thought he could. So – Marsden would probably be the one I would pick. I would probably say Mar. I would. Oh, I didn't mention Army. I don't think I mentioned Army. I think Army looks the part. I think Army could pull off the part. The, pro- the only problem is he's done a lot of kind of comedic and goofy kind of roles. I don't think. I don't think the Lone Ranger helped him. Not just because the movie didn't do well. I think playing a a serious character but kind of playing him in a goofy way. I don't think helps. But I would not be against. I would not be against Army. So I would probably say Marsden one. Maybe maybe Army two, Gyllenhaal three, and then and then Cooper. Based on I think based on the likelihood people would take the take the role. If I thought if I thought Cruz could would take the role and they were really making it a veteran, like like you know the Roger Murtaugh character in Lethal Weapon, I would be a little more open to to Tom Cruise then. But if we I just figured we'd discuss it now since we since we have Michael on, it's always good to have a another point of view on. Absolutely. All right, guys, that's going to do it for this episode. We, I mean, Emerald Dawn has been out forever, and you guys were asking for it for a very, very long time and then just sort of gave up. So, Unfortunately, unfortunately, they didn't do that with Threshold, for God's sake. Yeah, y'all got to keep making us cover the bad ones. and (laughs) God. Next up, Larflees. I was really hoping you weren't going to say that, even as a joke, because I was thinking it. I just was hoping you weren't going to say it. And no, it's not coming anytime soon, so don't don't badger us with Lorfley's request. We'll, we'll be talking about him in Hal in the Core book. Take, take what you can get. <laughs> All right, well, before we close out the episode, Michael, where can people find you across the net, man? Uh, views from longbox.com and fortressofbailey2.com are the two big two big sites because there you can find views from the long box and over at for uh, at the fortress i do posts about superman and that's the home of from crisis to crisis and uh i also uh two true freaks check out comics monthly monday and, and tales of the jsa 
is it the Superman homepage for Radio KAL? Yes, supermanhomepage.com, uh, 10.30 Eastern Time, uh, every Tuesday night. I tried, like, surprise listening in one night, and Mike came on the line. I didn't know it was going to work like a regular radio show. He was They were going to vet their callers before. <laughs> so I'm just like, what? <laughs> We've had some bad experiences, so we have to do that. <laughs> I was like, oh, come on, he's got to like see Texas or something. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, cool. So, Mike, thanks so much for coming on, man. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, um, Mark, you want to tell people where they can find us? I reckon so. <laughs> Lanterncast at gmail dot com. That's the that's the easiest way to contact us uh, with your questions and episode requests. That would be good. Um, visit our website, lanterncast.com. Our latest episodes are posted there, blogs, movie reviews, uh, Dark Star reviews, which actually we haven't had one in a while. <laughs> I wanna hope everything's all right on the home front there. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and like us on Facebook. We are on iTunes and Stitcher, so whichever platform you listen to us on, please leave us a positive review. And last but not least, leave us a voicemail, 708 Lantern, and let us know what you think. All right, guys. Uh, next few episodes, obviously, we need to do some catch up, but we do have some other ideas in the pipeline for uh, something other than just regular issue reviews. So, hope you enjoy this and uh, look forward to our coverage of Emerald Dawn 2, but we're not going to give you a time frame on that because, well, you know, we don't want to make a promise we can't keep. So, uh. <laughs> uh Thanks again, Mike, for coming on this show. We really appreciate it. And, of course, you got a standing invitation to come back in any time, man. That means he's never coming back, Chad. <laughs> no, you, you kind of got verbal there for a second. I'm sorry. No, I, I'd love to come back, especially if you guys want to discuss the second one, the Emerald Dawn 2. That sounds like a plan. All right, guys. We'll talk to you later. Good night, everybody. Good night.